0: Welcome, you're listening to Intentional Conversations from Mika White Consulting, an encore presentation of our weekly podcast where we intersect diversity, equity, and inclusion with leadership and business. Let the conversation begin. Dr. Taina M. Session is the CEO and founder of TainaMSession.com, a certified woman minority business enterprise with over 30 years of human resources experience. Dr. Session specializes in cultural engineering, facilitated experiences and leadership and organizational development. She has spent 10 years as the top HR executive for both domestic and international organizations where she led various change initiatives and up leveled entire departments, including talent systems and infrastructure. She has partnered with high tech startups and fast growth companies, as well as McDonald's, Xerox, Creed Perfumery, Interscope, a and Records, Spotify, Hooray, Federal Executive Board, Department of Health and Human Services, Los Angeles Chamber of Commerce, NASA, and many other multinational for-profit and not-for-profit organizations and government agencies. Her experience has enabled her to embed her passion for diversity, equity, and inclusion in everything she develops and implements. Dr. Session was selected as the winner of the 2022 Los Angeles Awards in the category of Human Resources Consulting. She is also an international speaker who has spoken at the professional events throughout US as well as Bangkok, Dominican Republic, Cuba, Jamaica, In 2022, she was accepted into law school where her focus will be civil rights law. We talk a little bit about that. She is also the author of multiple books, including the number one bestseller, Get Your Career Life in Order, and released her newest book, Working While Black, a woman's guide to stop being the best kept secret. So Vodcast community, I hope that you will find a way to um, help me to acknowledge the appreciation we have for Dr. Taina being here with us today. And I am actually going to turn my camera off while we together just enjoy this rich conversation that she and I had earlier this week, but bringing it live to you today. And then we will follow up with some discussion among this community. Thank you. Okay, we have just read your bio as I normally do. And it's always a great opportunity for us to learn more about your accolades, your credentials, how you show up to this work, into this space, Um, But Tana, I also want to give you an opportunity just to greet this audience in your own way. And you may feel inclined to share perhaps some other um, facts about yourself, but maybe some interesting facts that we would not know by reading your bio. Sometimes our guests will share intersecting identities, but anything that you would love to deposit into this audience to help us to know more about you. I want to give you that space and time to do so right now. Welcome.
1: Thank you, Nika, I appreciate that. And I'm really excited to be here and talk to you today and, and to your audience. Um, I like to tell people first and foremost, I'm a wife and a mother, right? Like those aren't things that are necessarily on my bio, but those are part of who I am, how I show up in the world. I carry them with me everywhere I go. And oftentimes we'll tell people I do a better job at them some days than others, but luckily they're forgiving people. Uh, so I have a, you know a son, he's just turned 27. I have a bonus son who's 31. And then my husband and I have been here in LA empty nesters since 2013 and living our fabulous best life.
0: I love that. I'm also an empty nester. My husband and I, we often get questions like, Well, do you miss the kids? And I'm like, of course I miss them, but not to the point where I want them to come back (laughs) necessarily I'm like, this is working for us. And so yeah, let's keep it going.
1: Yep. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> I love that. I love that. So Taina, what I love specifically is that, you know, so often we were asked about ourselves, you know, we talk about what we do and it's yeah. not necessarily at the top of our list that we will mention elements like I'm a parent, I'm a wife, I'm a spouse, and, you know, and I think that's so important because it helps us to really dig deep and to recognize that we are more than the work that we do, right? right. And so, so thank you for sharing a little bit more with us. Um, so it is Global Diversity Awareness Month, first and foremost. And so I definitely want to acknowledge that and let's just delve right in into this topic so what are what are some ways in which people are um, or they can support global diversity awareness month and let's talk about it at an individual level and then maybe from an organizational perspective What 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 are you suggesting to people
1: well one of the things I suggest on an individual level is that we look around ourselves and see who do we surround ourselves with right like I tell people I challenge them when I do trainings think about the top three to five people you spend the most time with outside of your immediate family and kind of do a checklist to see what boxes do they check. And if they all kind of fit in the same box as you, then you lack diversity in your immediate social network. And oftentimes that's going to relate to us having some level of bias or stereotypes or attitudes about people that we aren't familiar with. So I like to surround myself with people of all different backgrounds and and different experiences and You know, they're not all parents and they're not all women and not all wives like all of those things help me in terms of my um, broadening of my own understanding of diversity. On an organizational level, I would say we need to continue to talk about this, just as we do any other important goals or parts of the strategy that the organization may have. If this DNI or DEIB or whichever you call it at your organization, if it's not part of that conversation, uh, then it's performative point blank period. It needs to be at the forefront. It needs to be spoken on the lips of leaders all the time. It needs to be something that they're thinking about all the time um, and also communicating back out to the employees what they're doing about it.
0: No, I love that. Thank you. So there's responsibilities both at the individual level as well as at the organizational level. Wanted to bring that into the the conversation at the start, because again, this is the month that we're in. And while we don't need to just relegate this this mindset and this way of thinking to this month, it is an opportunity for us just to further highlight and amplify the need for us to further our um, cultural intelligence and humility. So I love that. So I want you to share your story with us. How did you get into this space? And, um, what, what are some of the motivating factors that keeps you connected to this work? So give us your journey into this work.
1: Yeah. So from a professional level, you know, as you saw in my bio, I've been in HR for over 30 years. I've been doing this work in diversity since 2007. And I'd like to remind people that was the time when the first millennials started entering the workforce. It was yes. right before the financial crisis. Um, and I was in charge of developing a recruitment strategy for this um, consult- management consulting company. And the CEO was very specific about wanting to hire, um, you know, first time workers, like new graduates. Mm -hmm. And I realized going onto campuses, uh, and this is in New York, that the questions they were asking were different their expectations of employers were different even the yeah. types of benefits that they wanted were completely different like i had never thought about pet insurance before i started working with millennials and so that really kind of opened my my uh, horizons if you will into the diversity of the workforce from a generational perspective And now, how do we now bring them in and make them feel like they're included and that their voices are heard and appreciated and valued, like all of those things. And then from there, I really started getting more and more vested in doing diversity work across different aspects. We started looking at uh, women in leadership and what that needs to look like and how do we do succession planning, um, all of those things. But the conversations then are not what they are now. And and I tell people, you know, when I think about why I wanted to do diversity work is because I didn't want people to have the same experiences that I did as a Black woman trying to climb the corporate ladder or lattice or whatever they call it these days, the monkey bar. (laughs) Um, Trying to climb like all of these different paths to create a place of success for me where I could be my true authentic self. uh, I could be paid fairly and equitably compared to my peers, like all of these things that I was missing. And those conversations weren't happening. Organizations weren't comfortable having those conversations. It made them very uncomfortable, and I remember I would tell people now, and early in HR, you know, we we told people the employees, you don't talk about race, politics, or religion in the workplace. Now we're talking about those things because we realize that if you're saying people should be their whole selves, that's part of who they are as well.
0: Yeah. And and we're surrounded by all of those things. And so if we believe that uh, what's happening outside of the four walls of organizations, it's not impacting how in which people are showing up to the organization, how in which they are interacting, making decisions, building relationships, then we are misguided. And so I do love the fact that there's a a greater appetite for the conversation, but it's still not always easy. So that that's where, you know, our work continues to be really important. Right. So I love that. Um, And I want to, to just acknowledge that um, we have an audience of folks that's going to be getting this content from a podcast perspective. Um, right. And so you are wearing a shirt and we talked about your shirt before we went live today. And it says a black girl will save the world. I just, I just had to amplify that a black girl will save the
1: world. I agree. You
0: better believe it. <laughs> <You> got, yes, <laughs> And I, I definitely believe it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's talk about the DEIB challenges that employees are experiencing. There are many, but I want to yeah. specifically um, put it in the context of post-George Floyd and his murder, right? So what are we seeing are still some of the big challenges that organizations are are having to navigate, um, specifically from the employee perspective, the marginalized employee perspective.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, there's still a talent pipeline issue, right? The talent is there. The organizations are still trying to figure out where to find them. Right. And that's one of the things I hear from a lot of my clients. They'll ask me for different resources and I've collected and curated tons and tons of resources over the years that I share with them. And I'm like, go fishing. Right. (laughs) So that means that your recruitment is probably going to slow down if you're being intentional and you're really trying to diversify where you're looking for talent. And you're fostering relationships in, in associations or organizations that you hadn't before to get in front of their members or their alumni or their, you know, um, uh, you know different organizations. So that's going to mean that your time to fill may take a little longer. So helping them understand, like, this is a change management process. At the end of the day, that's what diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, if you're really strategic about it. It really is. It's a change management process from an organizational development perspective. So you need to have some targets. You need to have some KPIs. You need to have some timing and some goals. You need to also be able to track that and measure that and then communicate it back out. So that way you're holding yourselves accountable, but also letting the employees know where the changes are happening because they may not have full visibility or transparency to be able to see it in their everyday work. So Mm -hmm. I think that's some of the challenges that organizations are still having and To your point, here we are, you know, 30 plus months out from, you know, June or May rather of 2020, and some things are just starting to happen, right? So I think people expect immediacy, and some things did happen pretty quickly, but if you're being, again, intentional and not performative, and -hmm. you're being strategic, and you're not just checking a box, it is going to take time. It took us all these years to get to where we are right now. Right. Conversation, <laughs> right? I said, I've been doing it since 2007. We're just having a yes. real conversations around diversity.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned that your start into this work was back in 2007. That's really, you know, before DEI became sexy and interesting, right? right? You know, so that was when the hard work was really, 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 really hard. Oh, yes. And yes. And, and while it has, um, it still has this complexity, of course, I do believe that simply because more people or they have an increased appetite for the conversation, it makes it a bit easier, yeah. um, but not too much so. But yeah. um, but yeah, so to your point, yes, change management is huge, and you start talking about KPIs and measurement. It reminds me of um, this past Friday when we had um, a guest on for um, IC Vodcast, um, Lisette Martinez, in fact, and she said, you know, we often hear the saying that what gets measured and tracked gets done, and she said. That's just only partially true. She said, it's not just about if you measure it, it gets done. It's not it's measuring it, but then also holding people accountable through incentives and through performance management practices is what actually allows the work to be delivered. And so I thought that was a great reframe and just wanted to, to bring it to today's conversation. So as I read your bio, I talked a lot about your strong history and work and experience from an HR perspective. I want to get into, from your vantage point, where do you see the intersection lies between HR, traditional HR, and then, of course, the role of of DEI? How do you like to intersect the two?
1: I would hope that HR is no longer traditional. Uh, I would hope that it's evolved over the last two and a half, almost three years now, just because we've all been forced to do so. I think HR was put in a positive spotlight um, back in 2020 uh, in a way that really helped them to secure a seat at the table. If they were being strategic, if they were being proactive, if they weren't just being transactional, and they were really thinking about the organization from an organic, holistic perspective. Now, if they weren't doing that, then yeah, they're probably traditional. Right. Yeah. Uh, I have clients that, you know, have employees and when they meet me or interact with me, they're like, oh, I'm so glad you're not like the typical HR lady. And I'm like, (laughs) what does that mean? I'm like, I know. know. Well, we're going to
0: unpack
1: that in a minute. Yeah. I've I've known I've experienced a traditional HR lady, you know, I've sat across from them and I'm like, this doesn't feel right. Um, So, yes, it definitely intersects because HR holds the data that the diversity team, yes. C, the, uh, C-suite member, whomever's running right. it needs in order to be able to measure and track and create these goals and communicate it back out to leaders and get leaders by. Leaders understand dollars, cents and numbers, right? So we have to come to the table and speak their language and we need HR at the table with us. HR is over recruiting, they're over interviewing, they're over onboarding, they're over performance management. All of those intersect with diversity. So, those conversations aren't happening. And I'm not saying HR should be responsible for diversity. So, I want to be clear with that. I do think it should be separate because if employees feel like they have a complaint or an issue as it relates to diversity, they may not trust going to HR with that because they don't Mm -hmm. know what's going to be handled. Am I going to be retaliated against? Right. So, that's why you need a separate diversity council, committee, leader that's really over that initiative and then having those conversations with HR.
0: Yeah, no, I totally appreciate your perspective there. You know, I'm sure you're keenly aware of the the criticism sometimes that can show forth in these conversations around what HR is doing or what they're not doing, and particularly how organizations will relegate this work of DEI to HR only. And and what I love about the perspective that you're bringing is that it's, you know, there's certainly a lot of validity as to why there needs to be this connection point and intersection, but it's not only about the, the human capital and all the things that are associated with the human capital and organization. It's also about just operationally thinking about how do we embed this work of DEIB um, really is into the DNA of every aspect of operations. You know, the, the procurement, the purchasing, the marketing, the I mean, all the things, yeah, right? right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so I appreciate that. So if someone were to come to you, and I'm sure you've been asked this question before, um, where should DEI live? Should it live within HR? Should it be a separate department? And I think I kind of heard where you sit on on with that question, but I want to just ask it very explicitly. What would your response be to that? Where should DEI live within an organization?
1: I think it should be separate. I'm a huge proponent for that. Um, you know, even when I'm working with clients, let's say they have a very small HR team of maybe two, Uh, that's that's more than they can handle in their day job and still be focused on the human capital aspect of the organization. And so whether it's through hiring someone who's over diversity or creating a diversity council or committee that includes diverse members from throughout the organization, uh, that have a passion for this, that wanna learn about it, that are invested in making the organization better in addition to their day job, um, there's ways to be able to pull it out of HR But HR should be involved, as I said, because it intersects so, so much throughout the work.
0: Absolutely. Okay, so I want to talk about your career path. And again, you are an award-winning, you know, HR professional, but it didn't stop there. You also have now gravitated into this space of civil rights law. So tell us about that. And what do you hope to do with that as you think about what's on the horizon for you in the future?
1: Sure. So I've always wanted to go to law school ever since I took my first torts class in my MBA program. And I put it on the back burner. I wanted to get my son through high school, through college. So now he, like I said, he's gone. He's out doing his own thing. And every year on my birthday, I try to do something that challenges me, pushes me out of my comfort zone, and usually it's something that doesn't make my husband feel very comfortable because I'm like jumping off a cliff or something like that. And he's like, please stop. <laughs> and I'm like, I need this adrenaline rush. I need this rush. You know, and I hold on to that until the next birthday. This birthday, I was sitting down and I was watching the show on Netflix. And it was um Dr. Cornell West. Um, some other civil rights and constitutional law attorneys. And they were just talking about the state of America through the lens of mm-hmm. diversity. And in listening to them, I realized, A, I need to get my butt in law school. <laughs> Cause I'm like, there's work to be done in these streets. And, and I need to be a part of it. I'm not gonna go out and protest. Yes, I'll contribute to campaigns and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. I felt there was something more I needed to do. So on my birthday this year, I applied for law school. And about six weeks later, I got accepted. And I told the Dean when they asked, you know, why now, you know, those types of things. And Mm -hmm. I said, the work I do inside the organizations is great. And there's still plenty of work to do there. But I feel like when my employees, I'm going to say my, because I consider all my clients, employees, my employees, Mm -hmm. when my employees leave the workplace, especially those marginalized, underrepresented employees, Black, Indigenous, Mm -hmm. people of color, women, they're negatively impacted by laws statutes, regulations, policies outside of the workplace that impacts how they show up as an employee right so it's great that I'm creating this helping to create this place of fair and equitable treatment in the workplace but when they go out those doors, they have to face reality and so I from a diversity perspective feel like my job's only half done. So now mm-hmm. I want to look outside and I want to be the one that's sitting across the table from mm-hmm. state, federal, you know, city legislators that are changing laws in the work, you know, that are gonna impact the workplace and really help them understand how that's gonna translate to the employee experience. Because if they're really trying to create create a place of inclusion and belonging for all of their citizens in their city, in their state or locale, um, how is that when you're missing this huge chunk of people that are gonna be negatively impacted by this law? Now, Nika, that doesn't mean my voice is gonna make a difference, but I feel like my voice needs to be at the table.
0: Yes, and I, I would I would beg to differ. I think that your voice carries influence, and um, and and all of us finding where within our sphere of influence we can help impact this work does make a difference. And so I love that you saw that as an opportunity and you wanted to intersect the work that you were doing within organizations um, with also your ability to influence bigger change, systems change outside of organizations. And you know, we all have to find our own path. We all have to really be convicted, be self-reflective, self-aware and convicted by where should I plant myself specifically that's gonna allow me to be able to have the biggest impact. And it sounds like you have very intentionally done that and I, I wish you the best on this on this path. And I, I can see it working even, even stronger, you know, um, with with the the background of the civil rights law experience with your your HR and then the DEI, you know, um work that you're doing. So I so I love it. I'm hoping that um others will will feel inspired to um, to create a path similar for themselves. So I want to talk about cultural transformation. How does organizational development at a company create cultural transformation?
1: <laughs> well, this is the prime time to talk about that because everybody's culture has been turned upside down on its head since 2019. Tell me about it. What's our culture? We don't even know what a culture exactly, is before. Exactly, exactly. They're fearful of losing their culture. And I'm like, you're not yes. losing it. You have to recreate it. We created. Yes. Yeah. So if we're not already thinking about a permanence of hybrid workplace, yeah. then we're in the dinosaur ages of 2019. Absolutely. Like we're just not going to go back. This next generation, Gen Z, won't let us go back. And that's a good thing. Um, because yeah. that's all of us, what it means to shift and pivot a culture in a way that works for all employees. And that just means that managers, and I'm going to talk to my older Gen Xers, which I'm a Gen Xer. I'm going to talk to my boomers. They need to develop new management skills that fit the workplace, the future workplace, not the one from 2019 mm-hmm. in, in the past. That's gone. We really need to look at it through the lens of, if that means I have to improve my management skills, my leadership skills, my coaching skills, so that I don't have proximity bias because I'm that favorite mm-hmm. in the office versus those who aren't, even though the ones who aren't are just as productive and, you know, quality of work is just as good. Um, those types of things, like that's the part of OD, I think is really exciting right now. And this is gonna be a, a great case study. I might have to go and get another, you know, degree in it, but it's gonna be very interesting to see what this looks like, you know, a decade from now. Uh, as the Gen Gen Y and Gen Zs are moving up into their own leadership roles, right? Gen Y right now, right. they're older than 41 years old. So they're already in management and they're changing the workplace. So those are yeah. the things I think, cultural transformation, is going to continue to evolve until we kind of level set with what the new new is. And then we'll see what it looks like the next decade.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, the distributed workforce certainly has a lot of us um, very confused. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and also I would say very curious, which is a good thing because I think that we cannot be over curious these days because so much is changing and we do need to be asking questions and not just thinking about where people work, but how they work, where they work. And that's not the same for every person. So yes, you know, org development is a big topic that is, is going to continue to show forth and a lot of, um, the conversations, um, to come. So let's talk about creating um, an organizational development strategy yeah. where we are really fixing the gaps, we're finding them, we're identifying, and then we're solving for them. What would be your approach to that? And what are you seeing right now or the biggest areas of, of concern or opportunity for organization and those organizational leaders?
1: Yeah, that's a great and very timely question because I just this weekend finalized a strategy for one of my clients um, because they're they're looking to, you know, go through a cultural transformation and, um, you know, first we, my team and I, you know, we met with all the leaders first and we said, okay, let's meet with all the leaders and get from them, what do they think the culture is? What do they think the core values are? What do they think the mission statement is? And out of 12 leaders, none of them have the same answer. That's a problem. That's That's the problem, problem, yes. Starting from the CEO on down, right? And his whole management team. And then we said, okay, now let's assess the employees through an anonymous confidential survey with specific questions around, you know, cultural aspects of the organization from communication to management and leadership skills, um, performance management, like all of those things and find out from them where the gaps are. And there were some huge gaps there. The first and foremost one was communication. I think that, you know, communication has been negatively impacted, unfortunately, in the hybrid workforce. So we have to be more intentional about how we share and delegate information out to to Mm -hmm. staff so they don't Mm -hmm. feel like they're left in the dark because they're home, right? And then the other aspect of it was career development. And Mm -hmm. I think that's just an ongoing challenge in any organizations. How do we develop the talent that we have um, and, and create, you know, even if it's not a defined career path, but at least new experiences so that they are growing and developing? And then the other aspect was um, systems. So inefficiencies just in the workforce, right? Like we are doing things that are redundant. We're doing things that aren't value added. Um, things are changing very quickly and we don't know why, but it impacts our work. Like all of those things I think came through this particular client survey. And now the strategy that we have in place with you know some initiatives is for them to go back and say, okay, based on what we've heard from yourselves and from your staff, here are our recommendations on a cultural uh, transformation strategy or OD strategy yeah. if you will and here are the initiatives now let's define what that looks like like what is that going to look like in the next quarter or the quarter's out until next year what are some KPIs we're going to put around and how yeah. we are going to track it and measure it and report it back out and yes hold each other each other accountable yes. for it mm-hmm. yes
0: no, so what I'm hearing you say is that it starts first, as we're trying to identify the gaps and solve for them, it, start, it starts first with assessing, you know, getting the data in. And, um, you know, I find, I'm not sure if this is your situation, but I find that we spend a lot of time at NWC preparing our client partners to um, to receive the data, by viewing it as opportunity. Not as right, wrong, good or bad, but let's see all data as opportunity. How do you like to prep your clients once you've done an assessment? Because we know that there's some things are going to on surface yep. um, that sometimes it's gonna make people feel very uncomfortable. They're gonna question, yep. are you sure that's right? So how do you <laughs> like to prepare your clients for receiving data of this nature?
1: Yeah, very similar approach. I let them know that I need them to understand that their employees experience may differ from theirs. And that could be only because they are in a leadership position um, and the employees are, you know, kind of boots on the ground and their experience will be different. And also tell them that, you know, there may be opportunities where employees use this as an opportunity to kind of, you know, turn the knife a little bit, you know, maybe they don't feel like I've ever had an outlet to express myself. And I said, but those are hopefully the outliers, right? When we look at, you know, the data, when we look at the open ended responses and what are the common themes there, that's what we have them focus on. Um, Okay, so another question, how can DEIB practitioners
0: increase cross-functionality and enter departmental cooperation, because again, we know this work does not only belong solely to the person who carries the title of chief diversity officer, manager, director, or even like your HR professionals, but all of us have to own this. So Mm -hmm. how do you like to coach and advise those leaders of this work within their respective organizations to make sure they are building those strategic alliances and creating that that cross-pollination so that we all are journeying towards um, a common goal relevant to DEI?
1: Yeah. So one of the things I tell leaders is that it starts with them. And if you think about the middle management level in particular, they have the biggest impact on whether or not DEIB will be successful. So it's yeah. great to have, you know, upper leadership, let's say sweet suite or senior VP suite all on board, you know, pushing the agenda, putting budget people and resources behind the work. But when it comes down to the middle level management team. If they're not on board and they don't have buy-in, they don't see the importance of this in their job and within their own team, then it's going to die on the vine. They have the biggest impact because they have the biggest influence. They have the highest touch of all of the employees throughout the organization. So they have to be willing to walk the walk and talk the talk and be vulnerable and be transparent and have uncomfortable conversations and say, hey, you know, I messed up, hold me accountable. You know, I'm sorry I asked that. This is what I was trying to learn. Um, you know, call me in when I say things like this, you know, those types of things, right? Just again, being vulnerable and being open to uh, teachable moments, and then also sharing what they have learned and what their experiences are, because at the end of the day, we're all human, uh, regardless of mm-hmm. our level in the organization and regardless of what we look like on the outside, on the inside, we're all made up the same, we're human. So, mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. you know,
1: so that, that's where I think uh, a lot of the conversations have to have, and that's where I spend a lot more of my time in terms of, Um, coaching and developing and guiding and creating safe spaces is for that middle management uh, team.
0: Yeah. So help us to understand from your vantage point, um, what are you seeing that organizations are doing really well right now in this space? No names, but just maybe some of the recurring themes that you feel like, okay, it seems like the tide is turning a little bit here.
1: I would say uh, what I call sticking and staying. And I remember I I had a minister one time that said that about marriage. He's like, you have to be willing to stick and stay. Stick and and stay. Stick and stay. And and the same thing applies with this work. Like those that started back in 2020, let's say they revamped their plan or started a new one. um, The ones that stuck to it are seeing the rewards, the fruits of their labor now, two and a half, three years later, and it's going to continue to evolve and, and continue to do so as long as they stay the path. And understanding that it truly is um, a marathon, right? It's not a sprint. Yeah. They're going to be little sprints along the way, but ultimately this work is a marathon and it's yeah. going to, continue to change. It's going to continue to evolve. And yes, they're going to be outside influences from you know social justice or injustice, that impact your employees and you're going to have to pivot on the dime or create a new communication around it or acknowledge it or create a safe space, like those things are going to continue to happen. And the younger generation are, are going to continue to expect it to happen um, because mm-hmm. they're showing up as their true authentic selves, whether we want them to or not. And so, the they are. yeah, so I think that's what I see in terms of the organizations that are doing it right. And that's, you know, some of my clients and others that I, you know, kind of follow and, and monitor as well.
0: Yeah. Um, What are your thoughts about the the looming um, recession and how it may impact the work
1: that we do? I feel like we're speaking it into existence. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's like stop talking about it; it won't happen. You know, <laughs> so yeah. really. You know, I pay attention to you know what what they're talking about in the news, and I, I listen to different economists, and I kind of understand the ebbs and flows. You know, like yeah. I, I'm a Gen X, as I said, our generation has been through you know as of 2025 recessions, and now going to be six. And so, yes, there's certain times in 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 the years of working. Uh, where things have to kind of come down and settle and kind of do a reset, right? But I feel like it's not going to be like it was in 2020. I feel like it won't be like it was in 20 in 2008 either. Mm-hmm. Will there be some sort of dip? Yes. Will the housing market start to come down? Yes. Um, those types of things I think are just going to have to happen anyway because they're inflated. Same thing with right. prices, right? For food and gas and those types mm-hmm. of
0: things. Mm-hmm.
1: In the workplace, I think organizations are being conservative. Um, I see a lot of news about different organizations doing layoffs, um, but they also the ones that did a lot of hiring back in 2020, 2021. So maybe they're level setting as well.
0: One of the things that I started noticing, and you may have seen this too, is like the sell cycle is now a bit more expanded. You know, it's like people are being even more cautious, you know, um, to vet different investments, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But I can tell that it's taking a little bit longer to actually reach a decision. And it's because they are finding that there's probably a greater set of competing priorities that they're having to give attention to. Um, So, yeah, I'm I'm interested to, to see how. Um, that may or may not impact our work in our space. And I'm hoping, you know, to your point, um, people are going to stick it out. They're going to say, I have to stay right here and just stick to it, right? That stick to it is really important. Yeah,
1: they don't want to have to restart either, right? Exactly. You lose so much momentum. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That traction is really critical for being able to stay the course. And so, yeah, it's it's so much harder to get back into the game once you have, um, you know, this hiatus of, of even giving it attention. So I'm gonna talk about your book. You you've, you've, you've have you've um, a book that's out and it's called Working While Black, A Woman's Guide to Stop Being the Best
1: Kept Secret. So yes. tell us more
0: about your book and what will people gain by reading your book?
1: Sure, so I was challenged by Dr. Lois Franco. I don't know how many of you will know who she is, but she's a New York Times bestselling author. She wrote mm-hmm. the book, Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office. Yeah. And I was a member of the board of her nonprofit. And she and I was sitting down over a dinner and she said, Tana, you know, one of the things that happens when I go and do speaking engagements related to my book is oftentimes black women will come and ask me about challenges they're facing in the workplace and how would I handle them? And she said, I'm yeah. hesitant to give them that advice because I'm giving it to them through the lens of a white woman. And I don't know what works for me will work for them. I understand that there's definitely gaps there. Mm -hmm. And so based on your experience in HR and what you've gone through in your career, I think you'd be the perfect person to write this book. And I was like, what?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and kudos for her for also having the wherewithal to reach that conclusion, because sometimes people don't reach that conclusion and it it can be very harmful. So I do love that. Yes.
1: Yeah, definitely commend her for that. And so, you know, I started kind of thinking about my journey and what was some of the things I experienced as a black woman, as I mentioned, you know, growing my career in corporate um, and, you know, sat down and just kind of wrote it out and, you know, went back and forth with her on it. And I said, my story is fine, but I feel like I want to talk to some other women. It can't just mm. be unique to me. Mm. And so I started reaching out to other women in my network that are, you know, professionals in corporate America or entrepreneurs and just saying, hey, what, what, what was your experience like? What did it take for you to get to where you are? And there were so many common themes of the things we experienced It in my mind. And I kept thinking, there's got to be a community here where we could talk about this. And right. so that's what I want people to think about the book is that it's, it's a community. Like it's myself along with, um, what is it? I think eight other women uh, mm-hmm. that share their stories about the challenges that they faced in corporate or in business and what, how they navigated through them. And I put them under the umbrella of Stop Being the Best Kept Secret, which is my mm-hmm. executive coaching program that I developed years ago. And in there, I talk about what it takes to own your power, your truth, your healing, your worth, and ultimately your destiny. And so of us share the strategies underneath those particular, I call them pillars, those particular pillars so that others can learn what they can do or incorporate or perhaps use as an an, uh, influence, if you will, uh, or inspiration to navigate through their own challenges. But this book is not just for black women. And that's the thing I want people to take away from this. This is really for our allies. We know our story. We know our challenges, We know what it took to get here. This is really for the allies, those who don't look like us to pick up and read and see what those stories are like. They're true, authentic, broad, transparent stories. And I was fortunate to be able to include Swati Mandela because I wanted to get a global perspective and she's the granddaughter of Winnie and Nelson Mandela. Mm-hmm. And so she shared from her experience as a Black woman, you know, in, in Africa, in South Africa, and in some parts in Europe, what that experience was like navigating and growing a career. So again, just wanted to get those stories together under one umbrella, communi- create a community where we can talk about those, you know, and not just go home and cry about it, which many of us have right. done, myself included and then go back and smile the next day. um, This is an area where we can really say, wow, first of all, I'm not gaslighting myself by thinking, maybe it's just me, maybe I'm imagining this. So maybe, no, 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 those feelings are real and they're valid. And yes, there's microaggressions and yes, you're co-switching to fit in, like all of those things. And I talk about all those terminologies as well, including intersectionality, like all of those things in there.
0: Yeah. No, I love it. So very educational, also a really good book for allies. I'm glad you clarified that because you're right. Sometimes when people see a title that has, you know, women of color in it or women in general, then sometimes some audiences will say, well, that's not for me. And so no, 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 it's very much for you, especially if you really want to be an ally um, to that, to that really important population. So we're going to share it in the chat so that this community um, can take advantage of that wonderful resource, again, Working While Black and Woman's Guide to Stop Being the Best Kept Secret. I love that title by the way it certainly is inspiring in and of itself right let's stop being a best kept secret i love it and you also have a podcast that i think is um similar in terms of you know the goal and some of the community that you try to create through your podcast do you want to say a bit more about that
1: yeah so it's also called stop being the best kept secret it's available on all uh podcast platforms and um the first couple years i was doing it, it was just my voice right so i was just Sharing some inspirational and motivational thoughts, talking about particular things that were happening in the workplace. And for this last season, I wanted to bring in other experts. So, um, back in December of last year, I was honored by Forbes as the Next 1000, um, where they honor different entrepreneurs that yes, are saw making, that. Thank you, that are making a difference in Congratulations. The thank, you. thank you. And I started with wanting to talk to other fortune. 1, 000, next 1000 um, women in particular who had these businesses that were making an impact in all these different areas from tech to the, you know, consulting like all of these things. Mm-hmm. I was able to, you know, many of them, if not all said yes. And so I was able to talk to all these different women that I featured throughout this last season um, that share, you know, how they're changing the world, what problems are they solving. Um, you know, who are the ideal clients? What are some of the challenges that they see? And it's been really, really well received. We, we're having really good success with the downloads and um, encourage everyone to go check it out.
0: I love that. I love that, Dana. And um, so you mentioned just a second ago, as you were talking about the book, um, the the power structures and how women have to navigate that, particularly it can be hard for women of color to have to navigate the power structures. So how do you navigate them and how do you coach other women to do the same?
1: Yeah, one of the things I tell them is that it's important to understand what your no is, right? So sometimes we think we have to say yes to everything because we have to overachieve and we have to do more than everyone else, right? And those have been the things that, you know, depending on your generation, maybe you heard from your parents or grandparents or guardians Mm -hmm. or older siblings. And so now what I encourage, you know, and I I coach, you know, very high level executive women. um, One of the things I encourage them to do is to be okay with saying no. Um, because yeah. you can't do it all and there right. is no such thing as work-life balance that's not that's a fallacy You agree going send it to work and you're going to be working while you're working or you're going to be 100% into your family you're going to be doing family while you're doing family you can't do both right I and so agree. understanding that and those healthy boundaries is important and then understanding um, you know what are the expectations that have been put on you for the role that you're in and having conversations with your immediate manager to say what's manageable, what's not, how to prioritize it. Because again, we'll get in our own heads and I know what's happened with me where we think like, if I ask for help, that's a sign of weakness. No, that's yeah. a sign of strength. And that's saying, yeah. hey, I know I don't want to struggle or waste time right. over here. I need resources, I need help. Or, you know, can I hand this or delegate this to someone else? So those are the things that first and primarily that I tell people to do just to be able to manage their time and keep their keep their um, you know sanity and um, not feel like you know they're failing or that they're not being right. successful.
0: Right, I'm I'm a big believer too of um, work life
1: integration
0: or blend, yes. not balance. And so I yes. definitely hear you definitely hear you on that. So I want you also to talk about your upcoming LinkedIn Talent Connect Summit speaking engagement. I, I saw that out there as well, and I definitely want to give you an opportunity to speak to speak a little bit about that.
1: Oh sure. Um, and before I forget, I do have a new course on LinkedIn launching this month, so I want to talk about that. Yes. Um, yeah. So the LinkedIn Talent Summit, Talent Connect Summit, is taking place here in LA, at the end of October and they reached out to me and asked me if I would come and do a fireside chat with the global chief diversity officer of Goldman Sachs and of course I said yes of course <laughs> so we're going to talk about um basically accountability right so how do you measure success around DEI how do, how do organizations hold themselves accountable how do employees hold their organizations accountable what type of uh, uh data should they be tracking and How do they language it in a way that, again, doesn't feel performative or, you know, like certain segments of the organization are being tokenized, you know, so those types of things we'll be talking about. So I'm really excited about that.
0: I love that. I love that. And so um, how can people learn more about that?
1: We want to make sure we place it into the chat. Yeah. So they have a registration site. I believe it's free. I don't think they're charging, but I can't remember. Um, But the registration site is available at the uh, LinkedIn Talent Summit. Talent Connect Summit website. So they Google okay. that. Yeah, They'll take them straight there.
0: And um, the team is actually going to place that into the chat so that we all will have okay. access to that. And yes, and let's shift and let's talk about the LinkedIn Learning course that you just referenced. So you have a new course that's coming out with LinkedIn. What's the topic of it? And
1: uh, what can we look forward to? Sure. Um, so this really helps support the first course that I did. So the first course I did It's called Uncovering Unconscious Bias in Recruiting and Mm. Interviewing, and over well over a quarter million people have taken the course in the last year and a half. So really, really good results with that and um, lots of still heavy engagement. And so LinkedIn came back and said, hey, look, we have a lot of our clients, which are the companies, they call them clients, a lot of our Mm -hmm. clients are asking, we've done the training, you know, we've um, created a strategy, um, you know, we have a diversity council, but Now what, what do we do? How do we make sure it sustains, right? And I'm glad that they're asking those questions because those are the part of the marathon they should be looking at, especially because, you know, two and a half years ago. So the next course I created is called Corporate Accountability and Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Belonging. Mm. And so a lot of what I'll be talking about at the Talent Connect Summit um, is exactly what this course is, where we talk about what types of data should you be tracking? Where does the data come from? Um, how do you report it out? when do you report it out um, how do you look externally from supplier diversity to the communities in which you serve and the clients yes. and customers that you know support your business or your products how do you ensure that that reflects who they are so all of those things I peel back and um and also talk about performance management and tying that into you know uh you know some sort of right. metric for managers. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Corporate Accountability
0: and DEIB. Is it already available or is it launching soon? This is your next course. Well, when will this air and I'll tell you. (laughs) This Friday. Oh, okay. So yeah,
1: because the launch date is October 11th. So that's tomorrow. Oh,
0: okay. Fantastic. Perfect. So this audience is kind of, you know, hearing it fresh off the um, off the, off the the publisher. So the printer. Oh, yeah. So yes, absolutely. Corporate accountability and DEIB. Want to make sure that you all can check that out. LinkedIn learning course um, that Dr. Session is um, has facilitated and, and is making available. And so we're super excited about all that you're doing. So I know we've talked a lot and we're going to shift a little bit and get some reactions from the audience. But um, before I let you go, I certainly want to ask this question. Um, So, Taina, what have I not asked you about today that you're having a lot of energy and passion for that you want to socialize with this community? I want to give you that space and that time.
1: I feel like we covered everything that's important to me that I'm passionate about, you know, from family to being in law school I'm midway through my first semester uh you know preparing for finals next month and you know the book and you know just recently did win an award with the new york city big book Mm -hmm. award for distinguished favorites um the linkedin course as well as you know the upcoming course that i have with them and, and then yeah the speaking engagement so um you know i feel like you know as we wind down the year i will say i'm looking forward to a sabbatical so my husband and i are returning to africa this year for two months Uh, We're going to do a tour of seven countries. Last year, we did a tour of five countries over a month. So, uh, by the end of this tour, we would have touched 10 countries in Africa. So, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm like, I know no one wants the year to rush, but I do (laughs) because I'm ready to go. I
0: so love that. I so love that. Well, I I'll definitely have to make sure that I reach back out to you because I'd love to hear some of your experience and see those. Those are the perks of being empty nester, right? Yes. You can just get up and go when you need to. I love it. I love it. Well, best of luck to you in law school, and um, best of luck with you with continued success for your new release of of your book. I think I heard you say that you've already sold maybe like twenty thousand something copies, and the numbers continue to grow. And yes. so that's just remarkable and um, just thank you for your leadership in this space and all of the important work that you do. So we're grateful that you said yes to our invitation and we look forward for this community to be able to connect with you. We'll be sure to share out your LinkedIn information and um, and so we're just grateful. Thank you so very much.
1: Thank you, Nika. It was really an honor and I'm so glad I said yes. Uh, it was great talking to you. As I said, I've been a fan of your work as well and continued success to you and your team for all that you're doing to help change this world.
0: Okay, I'm going to turn my camera back on, and I would love for us to just spend our last maybe seven, eight minutes or so just getting some reactions. Um, Sometimes it's always just good to process what we've heard, how we feel about what we've heard, what are some key takeaways from us. I'd certainly have my list, but I just want to invite as many of you as possible who would like to socialize um, some key takeaways to do so at this time. So just feel free to um, raise your hand or unmute yourself and share. And uh, we'll get as many comments and contributions as we can. Andrea, I see that your hand is raised. So I would love to spotlight you and allow Good you a chance morning to share. from
1: New York. Yes, I just realized that this was pre-recorded, but I um, love Dr. Tain. I've been following her um, and her HR in the news. I was a very active on Sundays on her feed when she would go live. Her stories were awesome. I wish she would have talked about her journey, um, in foster care because I know she had another book about that and I feel that that uh, everything that she's been doing in terms of putting her story out there and talking about um, navigating from foster care into her very accomplished career is super inspirational important and very necessary for many to hear.
0: No, thank you so much for bringing that to today's conversation. I too think I would have really enjoyed um, having her speak to that. So maybe we'll have to invite her back. Yeah. It, she's Definitely. even more amazing now in my eyes because, because of knowing that. So thank yes. you. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate you being here. Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. Okay, any others, thoughts and reflections? I mean, there was so much that she talked about. I, I have my list here, my running list here of some of the takeaways that um, stood out to me, um, but I wanna, I wanna get other voices in. So who would like to join in and share at this time? I'm catching up on the chat too right now.
1: May I say something, doctor?
0: Absolutely, you can.
1: <laughs> yeah, I just want, there's so much to unpack. I think that's maybe a big part of the silence here. Like, where, do we, where do we start? <laughs> uh, but a, a, a huge takeaway from me is really uh knowing your value uh and and uh, and really
0: your place in the world and and how and our pricelessness i mean that's
1: kind of the capture not so many words her what she did best and better than i but yeah that's what I'm going away with
0: Yeah, no, that's really good, Alfred. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, your value to the world. And, you know, what struck me is um, when we were talking about power structure, she said, understanding your no. You know, we're so accustomed to understanding our why, understanding our yes, but it's equally important to understand our no. I think it helps to keep us focused on our why and our yes. And so thank you, Alfred. I so appreciate you being here today. Okay, we have time for a few more. Do I see any other hands? I'm asking my team to kind of help me out as well. Okay, Toki, Toki. yes. Okay. Adding you to the spotlight. Hi, Toki. How are you? Fine, thanks. How are you? Thank you so much for uh, organizing and holding the space as always. Uh, One thing that uh, uh, she mentioned that really stuck out was um, when you were talking about the recession, Um, I have some clients that are trying to get ahead of the recession by um, capitalizing on the innovation and they're leveraging their ERGs. Because they know that diverse groups um, innovate better because of their lived experiences and, and what they can bring to the conversation. So uh, from a diversity point of view, uh, innovation, um, you know leveraging that to get it in front of the recession is, uh, is important. I agree, I think that's also where she mentioned um, that the sticking and staying, right? <laughs> because sometimes we will let big situations like that cause us to not continue to stay committed to this type of work, but it's really important. I, I recall her also mentioning how hard it is when you lose that momentum to try to regain that traction. And so I'm hoping that for those who are finding maybe your DEI budgets are being reduced or on the chopping block or potentially there that you can make an argument for you know, when is time for for us to really build this work back up, um, we're gonna, we would have lost a lot of momentum. And what does that say to our organization and to those who are key stakeholders in our organization? Thank you, Toki. I appreciate you being here. Okay. So with that said, we're almost at the top of the hour. I want to just extend an appreciation to every single one of you for joining us. Many of you are repeat uh, participants of our podcast community, and we don't take that lightly. We're so grateful. I hope that you found some information today to be enriching um, and to, to help put you on a path as you continue to deepen your learning. And if so, please feel free to share this out with others. They can catch the replay on our YouTube channel, or also they can catch the podcast if they desire to get their content in that way. Wishing you all a beautiful and safe weekend. We hope to see you back here next Friday, and uh, we just appreciate you being a part of our community. Thanks so much.